All right. And uh, and now we have a special guest on this episode. Are uh, you guys ready? We have a Marvel writer extraordinaire. You might have uh, seen some of his work in, in Punisher. You might have uh, seen some of his work in Tales of Suspense. You might have seen some of his work in all kinds of fucking X-Men books. It's Matthew Rosenberg. That's me. Yeah, that's true. That was great. That was a very <laughs> exciting introduction. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Like Thank you. I'm 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 a I'm a really awkward and introverted guy, but when you put a microphone in front of me, I act like an asshole. So thanks for playing along. Sure, yeah. But how are a you... lot of energy. I don't yeah. know that I'm going to match that, but you know, <laughs> trying to keep up. Thanks. Uh, so how are you doing? How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. It's uh, I'm tired. I don't know. Yeah. I, I always answer that question kind of honestly, where I'm like, oh, I kind of, Good. kind of feel terrible. And people are like, oh, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just sometimes you feel terrible. Like, I, So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm good. I'm tired. I didn't get a lot of sleep. But I'm good. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm also tired. Didn't get a lot of sleep. Sick of my job. Oh. I'm really sick of my job. I, I also answer what's... honestly. Yeah. Wait, what time zone are you in? Uh, I am in the Eastern time zone. I'm in New York City. So it is. Oh, hey, we're not too far. Okay. Yeah, that's how we live that. in Jersey. Oh, I know where that yeah. is. I know where that is. Yeah. Yeah. Right <laughs> over the river. Sure. What part of New Jersey? Or, or am I not supposed to ask that? Do you need to maintain? No, we we can we can cut it out, but we live in Bergen County, so I live right by Giant Ooh, Stadium. Lovely. Yeah, where they open that new big giant mega mall. American Dream. American Dream. I don't know what that is, but I'll take your word for it. You haven't been there yet? They have like a fucking ski slope and shit. Really? Yeah. yeah. An indoor oh. water park and shit? Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. I mean, we haven't been there either, but I want to go. The three yeah. of us should go. Sure, yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Either, what time are they open till? It's 6.30 now. <laughs> I'm not far from Bergen County. I could be there. I could be there by 7.30. Cool. Some, I say we do, do it. Do some skiing. Do some water sliding. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. So listen again, thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Um, it, it, it is really an honor. Um, I mean, you know, we're, we'll probably just like fawn all over you for a little bit for some of the work that you've done. Um, and then of course, you know, we, we want to talk about the stuff that you're currently working on and, and that's, you know, going to be coming up. But I, I have to say, like, we, we talked to you very briefly at New York Comic Con. Yes. You, uh, you know, you gave me, uh, an issue of four kids walk into a bank and i have like a huge backlog of comics that i need to read and you know when i saw you know you were looking to come on podcast and i'm like oh let's invite him and i was like oh i should probably read four kids walk into a bank but but i mean thank you for the free first issue but i decided to just buy the whole thing on on comiXology and read it because yeah and and uh, listen man i'm I'm glad i did um that that was so damn good i absolutely loved it that story was just so much fun it was so full of heart i love the art in it too there were like a bunch of like and the the lettering a bunch of like little jokes and stuff you know about um uh what was it like yancey street Mm -hmm. and uh yeah yeah, um i thought that was all cute but i know it was a really good story and it was kind of like heartwarming and fun and it was like it was almost yeah it was heartwarming it was i liked it and then you know it was sort of like uh i almost saw like a little stranger things in there and obviously this was before stranger things was a thing so but you know that was that one of the that was one of the first things that you wrote am i correct uh it's early yeah um 
it's it's sort of I was I'd done a couple of things. I did a book called We Can Never Go Home. Um, I did a book uh, with Wu Tang Clan called Twelve Reasons to Die. That's very weird. Um, and I've done a couple. I did a one shot. I did a single issue of Black Canary at DC, and I did a, a couple shorts at Marvel. But that was sort of the book that made Marvel kind of notice me a little more. I mean, they knew who I was because I'd already worked there, but sort of be like, hey, let's give them some more work. So yeah, that's sort of the beginning of a lot of work for me, for sure. Oh, that's awesome. So so that's kind of, um, you said you had done a couple of short stories at Marvel. That's really, that's really what kind of broke you into Marvel for them to be like, oh, hey, let's let him handle some like, um, some of the bigger characters and bigger stories. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like the... The way the Marvel system's supposed to work, I guess, theoretically, the way they'd like to work is that, like, there's a there's sort of levels to, like, it's sort of a trial process that you do, like, a short story for them, and then you do a one-shot, and then you do a mini-series, and then, you know, if all of those go well, then you maybe get an ongoing. So I'd done a short and a one-shot, and then I think I'm terrible time. Like, everything's just a blur to me. But I think when Four Kids started, that's when I did um, Rock Raccoon and... <laughs> Wait, no, that wasn't even my first. I should know these things, but I don't. I don't really pay attention. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think I think that book going coming out and it sort of uh, it did really well. It sold well and sort of got uh, a lot of claim. And they were like, "Oh, this guy's already working here. Like, let's give him more stuff." Um, so <laughs> that was it. Was easy, you know. I didn't have to apply for the job because I was already in the building, kind of thing. Well, awesome. That's convenient. Like, yeah. yeah, it is. Right yeah. place, right time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I really thanks for thanks for buying it. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, we, we want to support you know writers and and artists that we you know that we like. Um, you know that's that's really important because if nobody if nobody buys your stuff, then you're not going to keep getting work. I mean, I think that's how capitalism works. I think. Uh, yeah, it's mo- mostly true. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I really liked your work on uh, Punisher. Actually, um, oh. I didn't. I saw that image floating around about. Punisher like telling these cops like oh if you need a role model look at Captain America and like I didn't realize that that was like Mm -hmm. your thing like okay I uh my brother is a cop and he does the whole Punisher thing he has like this like shaker cup with the Punisher skull on it and I was like I am going to steal this from you you don't know anything about the Punisher you've (laughs) never read a Punisher comic you're a fucking poser (laughs) get out of my house (laughs) I mean you can you can say that to him I I can't really say that to him but sure (laughs) no you can you can that would be awesome what's funny is that like I had you know I do a lot of conventions and sort of go around and a lot of like cops and military folks read the book and and read the Punisher and, and do like it and a lot of them were super supportive of my run and you know it's always anyone who likes the book it's nice and so I you know it was sort of intense to write that sequence but you know it, it wasn't just me taking my own political views and dropping them in I, I I like thermally believe that that is what the Punisher would also think like he is very much a loner and very much a like sure. I don't operate outside the law but I wish the law worked better and worked the way it's supposed to and it's not supposed to like guys like me um kind of guy and so you know when I wrote the scene I, you know we were all really nervous about that coming out but actually like a lot of those a lot of those people like a lot of ops and military guys like wrote me and were like hey this was really good it was really well done and um sort of a smart take on that and so that, you know I really appreciate that because it is obviously people are going to take personal and it is sort of a, a real world commentary but it's also an in-universe thing that you want to feel accurate and so for people who you know you're sort of speaking to a little more for them to be like yeah I respect this and you know 
you know, I, I like that. I had a guy, I had a guy who was a cop tell me that, and he had a, a full sleeve Punisher tattoo. And he was like, no, I thought it was really good. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, I don't know what to do with that. You're going to get your tattoo covered up. But I didn't say that. I was just like, thank you. So, well, I mean, you never know when that'll come in handy too. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if a the cop ever like pulls you over, or stops you for, for something like, you know, loitering or some shit, just be like, hey, man. Sure, yeah. I-, I love loitering. Dude, I mean, some of us just do. It's it's no, no big deal. Yeah. But like, you could be like, hey, listen, you know that Punisher thing? Yeah, I, I wrote that. And maybe they, like, oh, hey, hey, I love that. Oh, you're that guy? Yeah, Matthew Rosenberg. All right, have a nice day. You know, you never know when it'll come in handy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that definitely <laughs> seems like a realistic scenario. And I definitely, if I get arrested, I'm going to be like, hey, I wrote the Punisher. <laughs> like, that seems like it'll go great. You could always try flashing them, but I think the Punisher line might help, might help more. Sure, sure. <laughs> I've uh, I've only ever been arrested once, and uh, I didn't really. Uh, yes, why you expected me to be arrested a lot of times? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Only once. I mean, you love loitering so I much. Do. I thought maybe uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, I was put in handcuffs twice, but I wasn't actually arrested. It was just like a scare the obnoxious kid kind of thing. Um, I got put in handcuffs for spray painting and I got put in handcuffs <laughs> for uh, skateboarding on private property. But both of them were like, you know, drive me around in a cop car and be like, you're, we're going to tell your parents. And I was like, that's fine. My parents, you know, like don't <laughs> care that I was skateboarding on private property. And then they were like, Oh, this isn't working and let me go. Um, but yeah, I've only, I've only been arrested once. I was arrested a few years ago. Um, and uh, the, the, I didn't think to say that I wrote the, pun- I don't think I was writing the Punisher at the time. No, I wasn't. I definitely wasn't. Um, but yeah, if I could go back in time, I would tell them, "Hey, guys, I wrote the Punisher," and watch that have little to no effect whatsoever. <laughs> well, I mean, a few years ago, you could have brought up four kids walking to a bank. That's true, you know what it's I mean. True. <laughs> true. Do you guys like indie comics about children? No. Okay, I'll just sit and tell them. Uh, um, also, there was a, a line in there about Dimmu Burger. Um, yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. So I just needed to know if you're a fan. <laughs> Of of the band, yeah, uh, or of burgers, I, I, or of I, burgers. I, I am a fan of burgers. Well, I'm actually not a huge Demi Burger fan. I'm not like a big black metal guy, particularly. Like, I, I'm okay with black metal. I'm more of like a hardcore kid than like nice a metal a metal dude. Nice, um, but actually, I'm a the, metal dude. That's why I was asking. Well, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, like you know, I know who they are. I've heard the records and stuff. I'm, I'm not like going to see them. But actually, I wrote that joke. I was in iceland on vacation and uh they're named for a place in iceland uh that means i think it means black castle um and it's like this crazy weird lava field where like everything sort of looks like turrets on castles and we were going yeah it's cool and we were going there just to see it and i was like man i hope the band's playing and i just like kept making jokes about how like (laughs) this is where they play and this is where they're from and it's just like an empty field of lava um, but it's really cool and beautiful. <laughs> and then so stuck in my head. And so then I wrote that joke in there. So it's a, it's equal parts, a, a black metal joke and a, uh, Icelandic, uh, natural scenery joke, but not a lot of Icelandic people caught the joke. I mean, not a lot of people caught the joke at all, but a couple <laughs> of metal people did. Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of like weird, like I throw in weird references and to to bands and stuff we did listen to uh we were listening to them 
when we drove there. So I, I definitely, we spent a day listening to Dimmer Bar Gears. Nice. That's, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, I don't know. We do, it's not like we have like, you know, like a, a million people listening, but we do have some international listeners. And so I'm wondering uh, if there if there's anybody from Iceland. So shout outs to Iceland. All I know about Iceland is there's a penis museum there. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. They have a, like an actual like human penis. You can just yeah. look at it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I can, <laughs> Patty, I can do the same thing. We don't have to go to Iceland for that, honey. We, we went when I was in Iceland. They have they have uh, they have the two museums I went to. I went to a bunch of museums there, um, but they have a sea monster museum what? because they're like they love sea monsters. And the sea monster museum is fucking absurd. And it's just like they have this thing called Shore Laddie, and like it's very very clear as they like they interview people who've like seen Shore Laddie, and they have like written accounts of Shore Laddie, and it's very clear that these are sheep who fell in the ocean and then swam out. Like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, and they're just like, Shore Laddie is like, he's the, like, he's the size of a, a large dog and he wanders out of the water and he's not aggressive and he has seaweed on him and his hair is gray and matted. And it's like, you're talking about a fucking sheep. Uh, and there's sheep everywhere in Iceland. And it's like very clear that Shore Laddie is a sheep. But it's like, they have all these sea monsters and the whole thing is like very funny and absurd. And, you know, there's a sea monster who like, just likes pregnant women and he likes to hang out with them and like it's all very weird and and, and funny and so super fun and then there's a witchcraft museum and we went there thinking like oh this will be funny too because it'll be like you know broomsticks and pots but they actually have a real history of witchcraft and it's super fucking gnarly and like the witchcraft museum is all about like how people were like digging up bones and like you know like bleeding children to get their blood and like mixing it. it it was so fucking intense they're talking about like creating thigh nipples for your familiars where you like make a slit in your leg what? and then like take Wait. the skin and like I'm, twist it and let it i'm atrophy. sorry you said thigh yeah. nipples thigh nipples yeah that That's is not you... a place i thought nipples could go <laughs> yeah you have to make them I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sure maybe some people have them naturally, but uh, this was a, they had instructions on like literally like making a piece of your skin that sort of hangs down and you let get infected so that like your little demon familiar can nurse. And they had like pictures of them. Um, yeah, the the witchcraft museum is no joke. It's truly terrifying. They have necro pants, which are uh, you di- you dig Ooh. up a corpse and you skin them. And you wear their lower body under your clothes like pants. Ooh, that sounds yeah. nice. It's a very Hannibal a, thing to do. They had a pair of necro pants there. Like they had a like just like a 17th century someone's lower body. It was super gnarly. And it was not at all like Shirlady in the Sea Monster Museum. So there was a good, uh, <laughs> if you're in Iceland, there's a good range of uh, museums you can check out. I didn't go to the Penis Museum, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I can't wait. Maybe I'll go back. Maybe I'll do that next time. Yeah, we should go. We should. We should. We should. We should go to the the penis museum. I bet they have the uh, what is it? The 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 cover of the Little Mermaid VHS tape in oh, there. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that thing's full of penises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's what I would do if I was an artist. I'm not an artist. I'm Good an times. accountant. I'm Good not times. fun. That's fair. <laughs> I can't draw. I'm. But I also can't do accounting. So you're one up on me. <laughs> All right, so so obviously this is the Mutant Musings podcast um, for you listeners and Matthew, if you forgot who you're talking to now. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about the X Men because you were, 
you know, handling the majority of, of X-Men stories, or at least a lot of X-Men stories for a little while there. You know, you did kind of an insane job connecting all of these stories together. And something that that uh, that that I think we need to thank you for, and I'm, I'm sure Patty's going to have a lot a lot more to say than me, is uh, is uh, the the resurrection of of Jean Grey. She is the best character to ever be written in <laughs> any form of medium. So, thank you. I've been waiting for so long. Oh sure, I thought you were going to say she's the best character to ever be resurrected, and I was like, that's a weird. <laughs> weird claim i think a lot of religious people would disagree but sure um gene gray died for our sins it's true it's true she died for uh her own sins actually but um or a giant flaming bird sins whatever it's all uh it's all debatable uh well thank you thank you yeah Yeah, i uh i wrote that book and i'm i'm pretty proud of it i like it got some good art yeah yeah it does but but let me let me ask you this i mean i don't know if this is gonna going to go along with what you were saying earlier about you know kind of getting more you know marvel kind of recognizing your your storytelling capabilities and getting more work but and and i don't know anything about working at marvel because i've never worked there surprise did you like go in and pitch all these different x-men stories to them did were like the editors did they come to you and say hey we have some ideas we want you to handle these things like you know because between you, you had uh, the resurrection of Jean Grey. You were doing Multiple Man. You did New Mutants, Dead Souls, Astonishing X Men, then Uncanny X Men, and that kind of wrapped everything up. So, what was what was that whole that whole process like uh, with the editors and putting all that together? Um, yeah. So, no, it wasn't one thing. I didn't go in with a, like, "Hey, here's a three year plan." <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you barely know me, but give me all this stuff. Uh, no, so they, I'd done a bunch of things that they liked and they were bring. they knew I was a big X-Men guy, sort of talk about the X-Men all the time. Um, and so they had this plan to bring back Gene and they asked me if I wanted to do it. And obviously I did. And, you know, I came in and I, I met, it was like my first real, like going into the office and pitching. I'd done books before, but it's sort of like, you do a lot of stuff over email and the phone and maybe you go out to a lunch or two but this was like going in and sitting down with all the top editors and pitching the story and i i came in and i pitched uh phoenix resurrection and honestly i think like three quarters of the way through i was like i don't know that this is going great they're kind of just like staring at me <laughs> and um you know i think there's a couple things where they were like oh like and and then i finished and and there was a sort of real long pause and the whole time I was just like, fuck, I fucking blew it. I fucking blew it. And, you know, I was told later that they really were looking for like a big cosmic Cree, Shi'ar kind of like, you know, all hands on deck. The Phoenix is coming back kind of thing. And I, I sort of pitched the opposite of that. <laughs> um, and so I think they were really caught off guard that it was so not what they had in mind. Um, but Mark Panitia, who was the X-Men at the time, now he's the runs the Star Wars books, but I think he was just like, so it's a relationship book? And I was like, yes, it's it's about, you know, I, I said, like, to me, I was like, you guys want Gene back. Like, the Phoenix has been around. Like, the Phoenix Force is not something that needs to come back. That never went away. And I was like, well, you want Gene back. And, and to my estimation, like, I love Gene. I think she's a great character. And 
we spend so much time dealing with her as a vessel for the Phoenix Force and as, you know, the, the giant flaming planet-eating mm -hmm. bird, like, overshadows her. And she's barely a character in a lot of stories because mm -hmm. she's got this power that is what the stories are about. And I was like, if you want Jean back, you need to distance her from the Phoenix. Like, you need to, like, pull it, pull her away from it. And, and like, I think the way to do that, like, their relationship is you know, for, for lack of a better term, like they're, they're a codependent, but abusive relationship. Like the Phoenix mm. fortune be tied to a person on a planet and it's making her do horrible things and all these, you know, it's sort of very destructive to her and, and she needs to get away from it. And it's about just ending this relationship. And they were like, huh. And I said, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's my pitch. And they said, what are the X-Men? Someone in the room was like, what are the X-Men doing this? And I was like, you know, I would like to not I would like to keep in that theme and the X-Men at the end of the day, like I'll give them stuff to punch, but at the end of the day, like their job is to be supportive of their friend as she's going through a difficult time and be there for her. And they were quiet again. And then one of the editors, I think it was Mark was like, I love it. And I was like, Oh, thank God. At least someone liked it. And then everyone was sort of on board and, and they were really enthusiastic. And then they were like, okay. And I think three weeks later I'd signed my contract to be exclusive at the company and we had a creative retreat and I went in and, you know, day one, they were like, okay, tell the entire company and all the top writers what happens in Phoenix Resurrection. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at Bendis and Jason Aaron and Mark Wade and all these guys and, and just like going through it again. And it was the same kind of terrifying thing, but uh, all the writers were super enthusiastic about it and super supportive. So yeah, and then the book came out and did well. And from there, they sort of were like, well, you know, you took this thing that was kind of weird and and did a good job with it and you know it sold well and fans seemed to dig it and you know what do you want to do next so that was a uh, that was sort of how that all happened and you know the thing i said i want to do next was multiple man which confused them to no end and sort of frustrated <laughs> them um but you know while i started doing that like i got new mutants and from new mutants they were like okay you're gonna do astonishing and so the whole thing sort of it it, it all sort of grows and builds on itself but um, yeah, I mean, it's like one piece at a time for sure on every different project and book. Gotcha. You know, it all kind of just blended together, like, like really well. Once you got onto multiple man, just things, how things sort of like snowballed into each other. And, um, I mean, I absolutely love new mutants, dead souls. Um, I, I, oh my, like just, that's just one of, one of like the, the best stories to come out of the X-Men over like the past few years. Um, mm -hmm. Because some of them are just like they're just characters that I inherently love. Sure. Um, when I was a kid, you know, I uh, I, w I was I was a kid in the the early '90s when I got into comics. I was like six, seven years old, and I started with um, uh, X Force and uh, X Force. It was like it was issue five or six that had just come out, and so like I, I had the trading cards, and I was like, oh, these were the New Mutants, and so I found a bunch of back issues, and so I fell in love with New Mutants Volume One. You know, yeah. like. Just magic is so wonderful. Karma is so wonderful. And it wasn't until many years later that I read um, uh, Marvel uh, Team Up number 100. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, this is a this is kind of a really dark book. And this is a really dark introduction to karma that I had just never read before. I was like 30 by the time mm -hmm. I read that. And, you know, I, had, I knew who Tran was, but he's not somebody you ever saw. I mean, he appeared in a couple of yeah. flashbacks. I think there was a story where where I don't even remember who tried to get him out of her. Mm -hmm. 
but other than that one issue in 1980 by Chris Claremont and Frank fucking Miller, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, that was like his appearance for, for a bunch of decades. And you had this awesome story where he was the villain and it wasn't like until the second to last issue where like you see him in all of his naked glory, but you know, he's kind of felt in there and then you, you, you see him and he's just terrifying and gross. And I love Adam's Adam Gorham's art on that. It's just, it's, it's fantastic. And I could just keep pointing at these little things that I love about it. But I know you, you spoke to us a little bit about it at, at Comic-Con, but you know, I mean, could, can you, you know, maybe tell the story again or just elaborate a little, a little more on, on what new mutants dead souls was, was going to be um, what you imagined it to be why you decided to pull Tran Koi Man and put him in that book. And uh, you told us a funny story, too, about you having a discussion with the editors over him. I don't remember what that story is. But, um, <laughs> the yeah, so, you know, initially we were going to do um, the initial pitch for the book. Um, we were talking about doing it as an ongoing. And I, I wanted to do, I said, look, they're not kids. It doesn't make sense to do them as the, like, kid version of the x-men like they're grown-ups like they've taught generations of x-men it's it's really weird that we mm-hmm. treat them like teenagers and and they're not and mm-hmm. uh someone was like no they are still teenagers and i was like there's canonically a story seven years ago where they go into a bar and drink and show id and get carded i was like yes so, cannonball gets carded i know exactly what you're talking yeah. about and i was like so unless they've gotten younger in seven years like they're definitely adults. <laughs> i was like also they taught kids at school who those kids are now kind of probably adults. So like what's <laughs> happening with them if they're still kids and it's a whole thing. And it's, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the ever present thing at Marvel of like, how old are these yeah. people? Because it's like, well, Iron Man was in Vietnam and it's like, no, well, he's pretty, he's getting up there. Um, Listen, I'm glad that the people at Marvel are as confused as we are about that. Thank you. No, I'm there's, sorry. There, there's <laughs> a, you know, it's, it's just a sliding, it's called the sliding <laughs> timeline and it, it, moves slowly as it moves forward it's like a rubber band kind of moving along um that's but but there aren't like strict hard and fast rules per se um i mean there are people who sort of know are keepers of how old things are but then on the general like lower levels it's kind of a a little bit of guesswork as to be like you know they know how old spider-man is and they all know how captain america is but you're like well how old you know, skids. That's not really something they've done math on. Um, they don't have a little chart to be like, oh, skids. Is this, you know, whatever. So, um, so I pitched it. As, I was like, look, I, I think they'd move away from the X-Men. You know, like I had this idea that they're kind of like a, a Scooby-Doo kind of Buffy. Like they deal with paranormal things because sometimes they're going to be mutants and sometimes they're going to be paranormal. And they're the team that sort of bridges that world between mutants and, and paranormal, paranormal stuff. So I was like, it's a little bit like they're mutant recruiters and it's a little bit like they're you know hellboy bprd buffy vampire slayer kind of thing they're like bridge the gap between those and they really like that pitch and then there was sort of like a discussion and there was like stuff with the movie and they were like oh well the movie's going to be here and can we do this and then the movie ended up getting you know (laughs) pushed around and then it like they were yeah (laughs) and so they were like well the movie we're going to put the movie on you know, we're going to put, we're going to make it a mini series and, and we'll relaunch with a new number one when the, when the movie comes and then the movie wasn't coming. And the, <laughs> the whole thing was like, there was just a lot of like ups and downs with it. Um, but, you know, I wanted to do something where I was like, you know, we're not going to use karma 
as a as a field member i think there's a you know there's the interesting status quo that that they set up that karma is you know inherited her half sister's company and mm-hmm. she's super rich and i was like she she wouldn't be out there you know brawling with the other ones she doesn't need to be and so i was like you know let's let's make karma the sort of like the the professor x of the team she puts them together and has hired them and is putting them up and then somewhere in the that is the plan. I was like, you know, Karma is such a weird one because like her code name comes from her origin. It comes from the fact that she has her evil brother trapped in her body, and so she's half good and half bad, and it's like a yin yang kind of thing. Like that. That's literally the explanation of why mm-hmm. she's called Karma. That I that you know is said canonically at one point. Um, and I was like, and then we just never mention Tran again. He just doesn't come up. And I was like, let's deal with that. Let's deal with like her not necessarily being in control of, of herself and, and, and what she's doing and, you know, sort of having this ulterior motive. If we're dealing with the supernatural, like what better story to tell than like the ghost of your dead brother is taking over your body. Um, <laughs> so it sort of became that, but it was, it was sort of an interesting thing because like, you know, I really am in love with like a lot of the old, you know, 70s, 80s, uh, especially the X stuff where there's like, there were stories that are a lot, a lot of times like one and dones and, you know, one shots and standalone stories, but then they have these weird through lines that you're, that are the thing that keeps you coming back because that's the challenge always is like you tell a story and if it's a satisfying end, you're not really encouraging people to come back next month and buy it. And so they'd have these great threads that kept going for a long time. And I was like, well, that's how I want the story to unfold. I want there to be a warlock story and I want there to be a, you know, this sort of weird what's karma doing kind of narrative through it. And so it was a very strangely structured kind of book. And I think people at first were like super not into it. They were really baffled by like, they were like, that's it. They just show up. There's also a a weird thing because the first issue has like a zombies thing. Yeah. And that actually was supposed to be the second issue when we had to shuffle something and really? the first issue ended up kind of being cut. So like it was a it was kind of a weird opening. Like we sort of just drop you into this in a weird way. Um you know, it was like while we were working on it. So I like rewrote a bunch of it to to fit, but it was a it was a sort of an odd opening and I think people were caught off guard by the whole thing and and it took you know, it took people like four issues to realize there's like a bigger story unfolding and there's like these things are all going to connect in, in weird and interesting ways. And at that point, you know, like you're a miniseries, like doing that kind of thing in a six issue book is like odd. So, you know, I, I, at a certain point, I just, I hit a point where I was like, well, we want to continue the story. We're going to continue it in, in the New Mutants ongoing. And then we realized that like the New Mutants ongoing probably wasn't going to happen because, mm. you know, there was just a lot of stuff being shuffled. There was a regime change at Marvel and the editor chief stepped down and a new editor chief yeah. came in. And so then it's like, well, everything gets reassessed and reevaluated there. And, you know, and I just had this story and we were already sort of in motion where I was like, this isn't going to end exactly in a traditional, like I I wanted to have it end on not, it's funny because people call it a cliffhanger and I don't think of it as a cliffhanger. Um, I literally called it cliffhanger on Twitter today (laughs) (laughs) and somebody else did too. And then somebody else said that it's not it's not really a cliffhanger and like i i mean it's not maybe a traditional cliffhanger but it it i mean there is some sort of a a resolution and it's not even that whether it's like this satisfying nice tied up resolution or not it's just there's still there's still more to what happens to these characters sure and 
and and you know obviously you you continued that but but i i'm gonna sit here and i'm gonna tell the writer what the cliffhanger was or or was not what the fuck do i know you know my feeling is i have a sort of weird perspective when i was a kid like both of my parents are writers and when i was a kid my my dad um he was uh he he came around and became uh, actually a comic book fan and would read a lot of stuff but uh, when I was a kid, he was very anti-comic, and and he he would say to me, he was like, "They're not stories," and I'd say, "No, of course they're stories. What does that mean?" And <laughs> and he said to me, he was like, "The definition of story is very simple. Like the curtain goes up, you meet a character. When the curtain comes down, they're a different person." And he was like, "That's what a story is. It's an evolution of a character through the events that happen, and in some way they're changed." And he was like, "How is Peter Parker different now that you're a kid than when I was a kid?" He's he's like the same dude nothing has happened like there's not actually an evolution and one obviously there's an evolution like you know he graduated high school and blah 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 but i'm not going to sit there and argue semantics with my dad when i'm like 12 so (laughs) you know i I, it it took me a long time to sort of understand that like comics work on a very different level of storytelling it's a very non-traditional type of story and it's it's not about the end game it's more about the journey and it's it's a it's an ongoing, it's a forever story that you sort of experience in a, in a sort of passing way. It's, it's, it's a very kind of passive storytelling in that way. And that like, it started before you were born probably, and it'll keep going after you die. And that's, you know, sort of a hard concept to wrap your head around because it's never what storytelling has been traditionally. Um, but so I'm a big fan of, of, you know, I, I sort of have that idea that like, the characters have to change in some way ingrained into my head. But at the same time, I'm also like a big fan of, of what comics does in that, like, well, the story doesn't ever end. And so like, I think those two ideas are kind of always at play in my head where like, you know, I'm going to change characters. I'm going to, I'm going to have the story impact them and, and really, uh, you know, move, move, move them down the field and move the ball forward. If that makes sense. Um, but also, like, it doesn't end with me. I, I'm not going to write the final New Mutant story. And and so, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of a cliffhanger, it's not like they were, like, in a room and someone had a gun pointed at them and they were like, how are we going to get out of here? And then I was like, that's the last issue. See you guys later. That would have um, been hilarious, man. Everybody would have loved that. Let okay, me tell you. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I just need to say this. You said you're not going to write the last New Mutant story. Um, You wrote the last X-Men story. <laughs> your, your words. <laughs> Which the New Mutants were in. So, um, yeah, the, uh, I mean, okay, fair enough, but you know, I, I just like, I think it's important when you're, when you write for Marvel to understand that like, you know, I'm going to be dead at, you know, some point between tomorrow and 50 years from now. And there's going to be new mutants comics coming and there's going to be X-Men comics coming and Punisher comics coming still. Um, mm. and so like, you know, it's always, it's always a question of like, well, you know, what can I really do to sort of make this interesting and make it matter? And and so, yeah, I mean, I wanted to affect them and change their status quo for a while. Uh, it ended up not being as long as I wanted it to be exactly, mm-hmm. but like I knew I would get the chance to revisit it. So I was like, well, I know I can touch on this again. And, you know, I was initially going to do it in um, Astonishing, like Astonishing was going to deal with the new mutants. And then they were like, well, we're ending Astonishing. Astonishing was doing well. And so they were like, well, we're going to wrap Astonishing and, you can go to, you're going to go to Uncanny. And I was like, well, okay. And then 
I was like, well, it's going to have to be dealt with an uncanny then. So it was sort of always a moving thing, although they appear in Astonishing. Like they are, yeah, you know, they, they are at least referenced and, and there's sort of a sense of what's happening to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we, we, you know, if I had my, if I could do it all myself and there was not a, anything else in play, like, yeah, it probably would have gone on for another year. Um, I had a whole other story that was going to deal with the other new mutants who weren't on the team and how they're dealing with this, but you know, with their warlockiness, but um, <laughs> we went a little faster than that. So I, it was sort of dealt with a little quicker, but yeah, I mean, I don't think of it as a cliffhanger. I, I understand people do, but I'm like, well, that's the end of a story. Like at the end of, you know, return of the Jedi, no one is like, well, what happened to the rest of these stormtroopers? Where's the Empire? Like, what happens now? There's Luke Train. It's like, that's not a cliffhanger. It's just the end. And there's questions. Like, like you, you don't, unless you kill everyone in your story, every story ends on a cliffhanger. You know, like, it, the only stories that don't end on cliffhangers are ones where you blow up the entire universe because there's always going to be things that happen. And I know that's being a little semantic and, and, and jerky about it because I know that New Mutants ended a little confusing but i didn't see it as a cliffhanger i was just like we changed the status of these characters like now when you see them the status will be different that's not a cliffhanger like that's just a different they're just different now and that's what a story should do is like impact these characters but uh also at the same time like sure yeah maybe it's a cliffhanger i don't know i don't really think that's about it <laughs> yeah sure let me write my dissertation and then uh maybe it's wrong uh, no, but but I mean, no, I, I totally I totally get what you're saying. And when and when a couple of people were on our Twitter account, um, going back and forth on it earlier, you know, I I can sort of I can see both sides of it. But I'm trying to I'm just like thinking. I, I remember very vividly that that time in between the end of Dead Souls and the side of that panel in Astonishing when we saw them like, you know, behind some glass when like Havoc yeah. was running away, like, Oh my God, what's going to happen to them? What's like, where are they? Okay. All the, you know, like as a reader, I was worried as hell. Sure. Um, because I'm crazy. I was very frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, so, you know, I will say like, I think there's a value to worrying and frust being and frustrating an audience. Like I know that that's hard to hear as an audience, but like, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but I, I'm joking. You know, I, think it's, I think it's like, uh, there's a lot of sort of, I mean, not to get too like theoretical about storytelling, but I guess this is where I am tonight. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of times it's like, there, there's a lot of tools in, in your arsenal as a storyteller and like a lot of emotions to play with. And I think there's a value in sort of touching and playing with all of them. Like a lot of stories, you know, I read a lot of comics where it's like, well, this was fun. Or this was sad. Or this was exciting. And that's kind of it. And that's not the full range of human emotion. And I think that, you know, there's a real value to stories that, like, make you mad, make you sad, make you worry, make you, you know, confused. And, and like, these are all sort of emotions, maybe not confusion, but they're all sort <laughs> of, like, you know, they're, they're things that, that you can, that, that can be invoked in people that are that are sort of powerful tools and there's something to like making people who read new mutants be like what the fuck and then you see them again astonishing and you go oh and then they don't appear in that story and you're like wait what the fuck like i, I kind of really <laughs> like that like i like things that you know like there are there are movies i love where you're just like i don't know what this is like i don't know what's happening and you just like and i think comics sometimes relies on just like 
this is what we're setting out to do. And a lot of storytelling does uh, sort of like, we're setting out to make people happy. This is a feel good story. We're setting out to make people sad. This is a sad story. Mm. And it's like, no, I, I think there's a value to like the, the release. I mean, I, you know, I, I know comedians talk about that of like, there's a value to like making your audience angry and then bringing them back to laugh because that's, that's important or making them upset or shocking them or confusing them. And then getting the release of the laughter like that, is such a broader scale than like sitting there normal and then laughing. It's not an emotional roller coaster. It's just an emotional downhill or an emotional uphill. And like, I, I think, I think we should want from our stories sometimes and not everyone does and not from every story. I mean, maybe you can read an X-Men book to feel good or feel whatever. And there are awesome X-Men books that I love that are, that are those that are just like, this is a feel good story or like, this is cool or like good for them or whatever. But like, I, I think, I think if you can, be tapping into more than just happy, sad, fun, exciting in your storytelling and then bring it back to other things. Like it's, it, that's a real cathartic experience that I, I sort of strive for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. Um, and I think, I think, you know, as, as somebody who's, you know, reading and has no idea what's going on, you know, behind the scenes or what the plans are, it's, it's kind of like all I, whether I'm happy, sad, or angry, or, or what the fuck, or whatever, is I just want to feel invested in something. Yes. You know, I think the worst thing is is not caring at all. And so, you know, it is sort of, you know, semantics for me to say, oh, that felt like a cliffhanger, and somebody else says that doesn't, or, or whatever. It is, because ultimately, at the end of it, I, I felt invested. And I was like, I want more of this. I, I want to know where these people are going next. And I think that's... That's just something that I feel a lot when I read the X-Men. I mean, a lot of it is because of my own personal lifelong attachment to the X-Men. But, you know, but that's also that's also good storytelling, you know. Um, and like I said, there's it's not for no for no reason that I said that this is one of my favorite, you know, X-Men stories of the past bunch of years. It's it's because it did make me it did make me feel a whole lot, you know, not just the ending, but seeing karma do what she was doing with the team finding that out at the end um tell, magic saying tell your mom to go fuck herself magic <laughs> saying go fuck you tell tell the kid mom go fuck yourself um you know the scenes between rain and guido those were really really important things that sort of yeah. needed to happen um shatterstar naked in an apron yeah uh, that was important to, you know but there were there were a lot of things in there and you know, I mean, I, I love using this this example, too. Um, and, and it may sound sort of weird, but like Mystique. Sure. I, I, I hate her. Okay. I just I hate her with such a passion. And whenever anybody asks me about that, like I can say yes, but she's such a great character and such a great villain sure. because I fucking she makes me feel something. You know, yeah. I feel that hatred. She's not. Somebody I just don't care about. Somebody that just shows up in a panel. I'm like, all right, nobody cares about that character, and you know, whatever. Um, so, so I, I do, I get exactly what you're saying. I think, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, I think it's yeah, no. I, I the mystique thing's a great point. Like, yeah, there are characters like, and I think you know, I think a lot of times in comics, we we don't we don't trust when we make comics. We don't trust that the audience, especially now in the age of Twitter. I think there's a lot of the idea that like we don't trust an audience to often to be mature enough to deal with like things that are uncomfortable and things that are difficult. Um, 
And like, obviously some books shouldn't be doing that. Like you're not supposed to be super bummed out when you read Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Like that's not what that book is for. <laughs> that book is a, a fun, feel good adventure and, it, and it's great. And, you know, but like there are some books where like, yeah, you should really have books. I mean, like, you know, one of my first books was Kingpin and I was like, he's not a good guy, but I also like, I don't want to just be like, this is Kingpin's greatest hits where he's just running around, up, around beating people to death. Like, that's not the story I wanted to tell. <laughs> and like, I think Kingpin's like complicated and fascinating and like, yeah, he murders people and is a bad guy, but he's also like has good goals and is like a, a, a you know, a mourning family man. And you know, he's this real tragic figure in a lot of ways. And I was like, I think there's something to embracing, you know, more complex kind of themes and, and stories when you can. And like, I think the mystique thing is a good example of that. It's like, yeah, she's she's unnerving and awful and and shitty. And it's just like when she comes in a story, you're like, I don't know if I can trust her. I don't like where this is going to go because she's so exactly duplicitous and shady by nature. But it's exciting, and it's it's in you know you're like, oh, things are fucked up with mystique. Like that was a big you know it was a big thing in my uncanny was like. I wanted to make sure to hold Mystique and Emma back because both of them sort of play by their own rules. And when they show up, it's like, oh, this is something much weirder and more fucked up than we thought it was going to be. And so yeah. we're like, we held them back for as long as we could so that when they appear, like the audience would just be like, oh, fuck, like these two are really <laughs> going to be doing something really not good. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So about comics that make you feel things, um, sure. This is just going to be a weird segue. Uh, have, how have you been feeling about the um, new stuff by Hickman? Because it made me feel things that I didn't know that I could feel when I was reading comics. Like, I felt like I was, like, really fucking stupid. <laughs> and it made me really angry. I was like, I don't get what's going on. I feel like somebody is, like, yelling at me in, like, you know, like, a, a master's level fucking astrophysics class in Chinese or something like I don't understand what's happening and why everybody is jizzing their pants over this I mean <laughs> jizzing their pants okay uh, <laughs> Jonathan is a master level genius in ast Chinese astrophysics um, <laughs> definitely what he is. Uh, I love it I love it Hickman is one of my favorite writers in all comics and I think he's um He's definitely, you know, there, there's sort of, it was funny. I was having a conversation with uh, another writer who I will remain nameless. And we were talking about who the best writer at Marvel was. Wow. And we were sort of being like, well, it's maybe this person, maybe this person, you know, maybe this person. And, and then I said, I don't think it's a debate who the smartest writer at Marvel is. <laughs> and everyone was like, yeah, it's Jonathan. Like he's just, his brain just works on a different level. He's a genius. Like, and I don't say that lightly, like, Oh, that guy's really good at, you know, painting houses. He's a house painting genius. Like Jonathan is a genius. Like uh, not to shit on house painters. Like it's a very complex thing. I can do it, whatever. But um, I definitely couldn't paint a house. I would definitely screw that up. So I'm not actually being like, Oh, you're good at painting. I'm not looking down on that. I'm just saying it's like, Maybe not a, uh, I'm sure there are house painting geniuses, but I don't, you know, I don't use it lightly is my point. But Jonathan actually is a genius. Um, I love uh, House of X and Powers of Ten and the new X stuff. I mean, a lot of my friends are writing those books, and so I'm very excited for them, and I'm excited to see them. But also, uh, I like when people just, like, shake things up and change them and break them. And, you know, we, we 
you touched upon how I wrote the last X-Men story. Like people were like, oh, is that when Jonathan was announced, people came to me and were like, oh, is that a shot at Jonathan to be like, this is the last X-Men story. You don't need to read his. I was like, no, it's very <laughs> much the opposite. Like he is reinventing something and it's, yeah. it's acknowledging that the thing you love isn't going to be there and there's going to be a new version of that thing when he's when he comes and so like in a way i was like well i'm saying goodbye to you know that i mean that's what marvel told me to do was just like that you're ending an era of x-men and jonathan will start a new era and they were like mm. you know jonathan we, jonathan is going to bring them up to this new height and this new bright place and they were like you're ending this era and, and bring it bring it to the darkness so that when jonathan births it into the light it's uh i don't think they said births that's my own um but you know when he when he brings it into the light it's an even brighter sort of sort of reimagining like just just take it to the x-men's like logical conclusion this is the last this is the end of this era and for me i was like you know i don't i i think there are some people at, at the company who like look at the x-men from maybe more of a like what are the great reinventing points? There's like X-Men, you know, there's Stan and Jack's X-Men and then there's giant size X-Men and then there's, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what exactly they break it up as, but you know, there's like Grant Morrison and there's, you know, Jim Lee's X-Men and Grant Morrison's X-Men and maybe Whedon's X-Men and Age of Apocalypse and all these sort of things that are like, these are, I think they even did a, did a marketing campaign around that, around like the pivotal, yeah, pivotal point. They did. I remember I came yeah. in and sort of talked about every era, and then they just had me talk about the Jim Lee X Men, and I was like, "Oh, that's actually the one I reread the least." But um, <laughs> I remember I, I I spent a long time on camera just being like, "Look how good these ads are," and just like reading the ads, and they kept being like, "Actually, can you talk about the book?" And I was like, "Well, the book's up." And then I talked about it. But um, <laughs> and so in my mind, like I don't I don't necessarily see the X Men that way. I sort of look back as it's just one long thing, and so I was like, "Well, if you're saying this is the end of that." thing like i'm gonna say goodbye to it in in the way i think it would go and then at one point someone was like you know the that current era of x-men starts with grant morrison and i was like well grant morrison killed eight million mutants on genosha in his run that's so right. if, so if grant is killing eight million to start like i'm gonna kill the x-men to end it like that's it that this is goodbye to them and and what you know i was in a unique position because i knew what jonathan was doing before i started and you know i don't want to spoil sure. i'm assuming most people who listen to the mutant musings podcast are reading the current books yeah but i'm not yeah but i'm not gonna so i'm not gonna but i'm not gonna spoil them just on principle because they're not my stories but you know i i knew that i could do things i was in an unusual position because i knew what his plan was you know he'd been working on it before i was hired to do uncanny and maybe even astonishing um he'd been working on it for a super long time and and so i knew what it was and i could just go and it gave me leeway usually when you you know write a comic you sort of your your role is to sort of take the toys out, play with them, and then put them back on the shelf when you're done. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have to do that because I knew that he had a plan to get all new versions of the toys in. And so I was like, <laughs> well, I don't have to put them back. And it's sort of an, a unique thing. And if we're going to say goodbye to them, like if it just ended with like, yeah, that was the end of an X-Men issue. And then next week you're going to see Krakoa seeds and uh, rebirth pods and all these things like, <laughs> People would be like, what the fuck was that? Like, so I was bracing, you know, like sort of being like, well, I'm leading into what he's doing and, and sort of set a stage that it's like, well, this this kills this era of X-Men. And, you know, uh, people don't always like to see their heroes get killed. And I get that. But, uh, you know, I knew what was coming next. So it was fine. Is there is there an X-Men character that you didn't kill that you wish you killed? 
No, um, I didn't. Uh, you know, like people sort of asked me, like, "Oh, how much did you love killing all of them?" And I was like, "I didn't love that at all. Uh, mm. It was really, really hard for me. Like, I really do love the characters." Um, okay, so it's not like you were just like, "Fuck you, strong guy." No, no, I fucking <laughs> love strong guy. Uh, when I killed, <laughs> when I killed Havoc, I I got to the page where Havoc dies, and uh, I was just crying, and I I couldn't. Wow. I was late. I was a day late on the script. I had to leave, and like, not. I was like, "I'm not getting it in today. I'm sorry." I need the rest of the day off and i didn't <laughs> i didn't work for the rest of the day i was like really upset um yeah i mean i think i think uh you know i would have liked to have killed gambit because he sucks but he wasn't in my bush so <laughs> yeah that's what i was looking for yeah, there you go uh no, yeah, like i've always i've always sort of laughed at gambit and found him absurd and whatever but actually kelly <laughs> kelly made me really like gambit like kelly thompson is so good with him that i was kind of like yeah yeah, I kind of like him now. I mean, I like him. I, I like him in a, like, I dislike him, but I, I like that I dislike him way, where I used to dislike that I disliked him. <laughs> um, but he wasn't in my book, so I didn't kill him. Uh, he was off in space, being not noticing that all of the X-Men were dying, <laughs> not bothering to come back like a piece of shit. But, uh, you know, good for him, whatever. He was on his honeymoon. <laughs> Yay. Um, so, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, there were people who were going to die who didn't. Um, and there were people who weren't going to die who did. There were some sort of weird curveballs along the way, for sure. But, um, yeah, pretty much, no, I, I didn't really, like, love killing anyone. I knew, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I talked about killing Cyclops again, just because I was like... Oh, my God, I would have loved you so much. Stop it. Um, <laughs> Stop it. I, I, love, I love Scott, and I, I, he was one of my favorite characters to write. Yay. But, uh, I was like, you know, at some point he should die for what he's done here, like where he led them. And then I was like, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's worse if he doesn't. Maybe it's worse if all his friends die to save him. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's actually I, I'm not going to talk about it, but there's actually an alternate ending that I that I got. I even what? got into. I think I wrote it. I wrote it. Yeah, there's a different ending that got written, and uh, at the last minute. Jordan White. And you're not going to talk about it? How do you bring that up and not talk about it? it. Uh, There was a really horrific ending. Um, And Jordan was like, we can't do this. And Jordan was right. He's a great editor. And he was like, Jordan fought for everything that I was doing when when people were like getting nervous about stuff. And Jordan really stuck up for me and really helped steer the ship. But there was an ending that was really brutal. Wow. Um, Above and beyond that I was like really un- uncomfortable with and, and, and Jordan was like, no, you can't do that. But he didn't say you can't do it because that's not how Jordan works. He was like, I really think we need to talk about this and reevaluate it. And we went out to lunch and he talked me out of it. And I'm so happy he did because it was really, uh, <clears throat> real rough. Wow. Okay. Well, speaking of a cliffhanger, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's that's super interesting though. Um I don't know. I hope I hope we hear it one day. Um because now I'm 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 really 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 curious. But uh I'm not going to I'm not going to press you on it obviously. But um no, and and it's it's you know, it's kind of interesting that you that you bring that up, you know, and people were questioning it and Jordan was, you know, steering the ship or whatever because, you know, as as the readers, you know, it was it was a rough reading. It's not that not for not for it being like a bad story, but it was is rough seeing all that death. And, 
you know, again, from from the the reader's end of it, not knowing what's coming or not knowing how this is going to go. And then I remember like the final issue and then sort of like looking back and being like, yeah, this really was sort of like the last X-Men story. You know, he he told us this is what he was doing. And now we know that these characters are are coming back and whatever Hickman is about to do. And I'm sure that this is going to tie together somehow. It's not just going to be like, oh, boom, different, you know, completely different universe X-Men. This is, you know, nothing in the past counts. It'll tie together somehow. And so it was really kind of like once it was done, I was really able to look back and 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 appreciate it on a different level to see what was what was actually happening. Um, And and, you know, now that we're probably a a short ways into into Hickman's, you know, new X-Men status quo, it's it's much easier to to look back and, and appreciate it now. Um, some of it was, you know, it was super interesting because you, you put the X-Men with their backs up against the wall. And, you know, that's sort of where I think anyway, sometimes they, they have functioned historically the best, you know, when their backs are against, are against the wall. Yeah. I mean, the, the stuff, you know, like when I, when I initially talked about the book with them, they were like, yeah, take them, take them to a dark place. They were like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm super, I grew up on the Claremont stuff and, you know, we talked about you know, the Outback Saga and, and Fall of the Mutants and, and you know, Extinction Agenda and, and, like, these books that are really, you know, horrific, that are really just the X-Men um, catching hell and, and getting brutalized. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, like, you know, people are always like, well, the X-Men does a lot of looking back and it does a lot of sort of nostalgia plays. And, and that's true. And I, I was trying to figure out how to negotiate hearkening back to that sort of I mean when I was a kid I loved the X-Men partially because like you know I love the Avengers and I love other teams too I love the FF and stuff but the Avengers and the FF and everything are always trying to save the world and the X-Men save the world but like just as much they're fighting to stay alive yeah and mm-hmm. and because of that like even as a kid when I was 11 12 like I was like I know the world's not going to end like I understand that the others <laughs> aren't going to lose but you don't know that the X-Men are all going to live and mm-hmm. so like it, it to me was that like you'd finish an issue and just have this like sort of pit in your stomach of being like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like Wolverine's crucified in the desert and they're just like mm. torturing him or like, you know, Colossus can't turn human or Nightcrawler's in a coma and Storm's lost her power. Like, you know, all these things where you're just like, oh, I don't know if they're going to make it. And I, I wanted to harken back to that sense. But I also think the audience is savvier and the audience is grown up on those stories now and like you can't just be like oh they're in danger the danger doesn't play the same way anymore and so i was like that we need to set the tone from go that the danger is very real like they are not gonna make it um and so you know as much as it's a nod to to claremont in that sort of era of like the stakes and the tragedy the stakes and the tragedy wouldn't work again if we did it so we had to like up the stakes and be like, yeah, they don't make it. Like, and that's why, you know, I, I started with like, this is the last X-Men story ever. And it's sort of about the end of the era and, and what Hickman's bringing and how they're going to be different. But it's also just like, yeah, like in the moment, you know, what's funny is that uh, there's a, there's a Hickman quote that I love when he was talking about killing the human torch in the fantastic four. And mm. he, there was an interview about it. And he said, you know, someone, the, the interviewer was like, the audience, knows that he's not going to stay dead um like 
he's obviously going to come back. He's the Human Torch in the Fantastic Four. And Hickman was like, well, I'm not telling a story about the audience. I'm telling a story, and the emotional stake is for the characters. And you're supposed to feel what they feel and see it through their world. And Reed Richards doesn't know he's not come. He's going to come back. And Sue Storm doesn't know he's going to come back. Like he dies in the world, and he's like, and my job is to make you feel like this happens and it hurts and it's painful because you're going to see it through their characters. And that is something that really has always stuck with me that it's like, yeah, I, you know, like I'm literally showing you the death of havoc with an ad in the back of the book that shows the next issue of X-Men that comes out in a week and he's on the cover. <laughs> but like, obviously he's coming back. Like that illusion is not shakable, but the fact of the matter is mm -hmm. like, I needed to feel real to the world and the characters and, and, and that's, you know, that's sort of what we were invested in. And that's sort of what the, like, this is the last X-Men story because for Scott, it felt like that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's something I set up for Go. And, you know, it's a funny thing. I don't think a lot of people picked up on it and we sort of obscured it a little more in the art when, when it ended up being drawn. But actually in the, in the blindfold story, um, you know, she's sort of losing her mind a little bit because, yeah. She can see mm -hmm. the future and she's not in it and she doesn't understand that. <clears throat> and she's trying to figure out why she's not in it. And the fact is like, she's not in it partially because of Hickman, like partially because of that stuff. So she can't, mm. she can't make sense of it because there's stuff going on that she's blocked from, but to her, it's a little bit, you know, and it's not, it, not, not just that, but also like she's going to die. Yeah. But she's seeing all these different ends and how she could die and she doesn't understand. And so she decides to, you know, she kills herself and it's uh, brutal and awful and um, very intense, but all the deaths she sees are the ways that the other, a lot of the other X-Men are killed. She sees herself getting kicked to death and that's how Wolfsbane dies. She sees herself exploding and that's how strong guy dies and havoc dies. And she sees like, everything she sees are the other X-Men's deaths, but she's seeing herself in them and, and she can't figure out because she can't see herself. Um, so she does, it doesn't make sense to her. Um, and so I, you know, someone pointed out to me at the end, they were like, you showed the deaths of the X-Men, but you just dropped blindfold into it instead of the actual characters. And I was like, yes. In the first issue we showed how they were going to die. Sorry. Wow. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. on a lighter note, just a short answer. Who's your favorite X-Men? Uh, it's a toss-up between Magic and Havoc. They're my two favorites. Wow. I've never met a Havoc fan. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I shit on him all the time. You know, it, they were my favorite since I was a kid, the two of them. And it's only, uh, you know, when I started writing X-Men and had to, like, really study the stuff and sit down that I came to the very, very sad and depressing and sort of pathetic conclusion that, like, I have an older brother who was like super good at sports and really, you know, smart and charming and <laughs> eloquent. And I was like a fucking comic book nerd who liked punk rock and uh, was kind of a recluse. And there were two X-Men who had older siblings who were super powerful and cool and in control and everybody liked. And they're the weirdo underdog versions who are actually secretly more powerful than their siblings. Like Havoc's stronger than Cyclops and Magic. What? Yeah. What? Get out of here. I, I mean, that's, not, <laughs> that's not even, that's not really a debatable <laughs> thing, is it? The, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, like magic is, uh, I think they're cool and they're sort of 
no one respects them and for who they are and they're always in the shadow of their older siblings and so i guess when i was 11 or 12 that shit imprinted mm. on me in a real depressing pathetic kind of freudian way but uh they've always been my favorite and and actually they i think they get good stories because of that i think there's a lot of good, cool havoc stories and a lot of cool magic stories because they're sort of the underdogs and that was sort of you know the driving force of my astonishing run was like havoc's a fuck up and a loser and like how, how is he going to deal with that yeah that was a great story that was absolutely a great story and i and i loved it was hilarious to watch Warpath following him around that entire time end up fighting by his side and at the end saying, you know, I would follow that guy anywhere if he were to lead a team, you know? I mean, that, I, that was that was a lot of fun. I mean, he ended up, you know, kind of sort of, I mean, not sacrificing himself to get killed, but sacrificing himself for this little non-X-Men team at the end. So, I don't know, I, I thought that was well written because along the way, too, yeah, he's he's fucking up. <laughs> he's joining the Reavers, you know? I mean, he's just kind of leaves the team on the bus yeah. like oh yeah you know what you guys are right i suck bye um but but it all worked it all ended up working in the end um that was really good oh thank you yeah my initial uh my initial idea we were going to go longer because the book did really well actually um we only we only went to the six issues we did because uncanny was coming and so i was jumping over to uncanny but initially my pitch was that it's havoc leading the fuck ups and the losers and his end game <laughs> was uh that he's gonna bring cyclops back he, that was my pitch was that it was going to be the story to resurrect cyclops wow and so as havoc saves him and in the end havoc was going to sacrifice himself to bring Cyclops back and then wow uh so the Jeez. end of uncanny where havoc sacrificed himself to save cyclops is sort of that moved back but at the at the one of the marvel creative retreats um I was sitting with Ed Brisson and uh, we were both pitching X stuff and, you know, they were like, okay, when you go back to lunch, you guys are up. And, like X group is up. Like who's going to go. And I was like, well, I'm going to walk through astonishing. And Ed was like, well, I have this mini series thing I want to do. And so I was like, okay. And I was like, who wants to go for, who do you want to go first? He, and I was like, you can go first. It's fine. And he was like, okay, I'd, I'd appreciate that. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. And then he went and he goes all through extermination. <laughs> and then he's like, and at the end, they brought back Cyclops. And I was like, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> and the room just loved it. And the room was like, holy shit, this is so good. It's so exciting. It's so cool. And then they were like, Matt, what do you have? And I was like, oh, God damn it. And, and I was like, well, I mean, I was like, do we want Cyclops to come back twice? And I was like, what? And I was like, never mind. I don't really have anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was going to be a whole thread about, um, yeah, I want to do this story about Sinister bringing back uh, Cyclops and uh, Havoc going to like go stop it and then realize that it was like really him. Like Havoc thought it was not him and that Sinister was using him as like a, you know, sort of to get to people and his obsession with the Summers family was like gotten the best of him and he had like some sort of clone or some sort of shitty version of Cyclops that he was running around doing stuff and then Havoc gets there and is like, oh my god, it's really him. Like he had them and he's alive. And so that was going to be my pitch, but uh, uh luckily Ed did Extermination and Extermination is awesome and I love it and he did a great job so uh, it was good that he went first in the end but that's that's how it that, in the room it was not a fun day for me damn that's really funny that that is that is really funny that he just kind of like jumped in there jumped in first and uh, and uh, but yeah no it ultimately was a it was a great story but that's you know really cool to hear something like that so so to segue I guess off of um, X-Men a little bit you are going to be doing Hawkeye Freefall. Yes. 
and Forceworks as well. <laughs> that is true also. That is also true. All of this is true. Everything you said is true. <laughs> so I figured, uh, you know, I mean, why not talk a little bit about about Hawkeye Freefall? Um, you know, you can you can tell us some of the inside dope that you haven't told anybody else. Sure, yeah. Uh, because this is the Mutant Musings podcast. I don't know how many Hawkeye fans are are out there, yeah. but I like uh, Kate. Yeah, we like Kate. <laughs> I like Lucky the Pizza Dog. Okay, they're both not in the book. That's cool. Awesome. <laughs> um, so appreciate that. So yeah, uh, January first, um, me and Otto Schmidt uh, are doing Hawkeye. I'm very excited about it. Otto is. It's funny because I think a lot of DC people know him because he was doing Green Arrow over there, and um, people just really love his work. So he likes archers. Okay. He likes archers, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's really good at drawing them. Uh, but I think people like uh, DC people get it. And so when I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing Hawkeye with Otto, they're like, oh, my God. And then Marvel people, like, some of them aren't. I mean, some of them obviously know who he is, but some are just not as familiar with him. And they're like, oh, okay. And I think when the book comes out, people are going to lose their minds because he's so good. Yeah, I saw some of the preview art, and it looks pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, he's he's amazing. It just went out to all the Marvel writers, and, like, I'm just getting all these notes and people just being like, holy shit, this is so cool, um, which is always a good feeling um, because we're a – you know, we all see a lot of comics. So when people are excited about something, it's sort of, it feels pretty special. And, you know, I, I, I feel like the book is pretty special for me and I, I'm a big fan. But yeah, basically it's about Clint. Um, he's back in New York following uh, West Coast Avengers. And he's sort of back doing the superhero thing on his own. And um, in typical Clint fashion, he sort of uh, gets in over his head and doesn't, you know, sort of too stubborn and too strong-willed to sort of make the good choices to get out of it. Um he, he gets in a fight with the hood who's a villain that I really love. And uh, you know, the hood's a little bit out of his way class. The hood is like a magic user and a demon. Yeah. And, and Hawkeye, the fight doesn't go great for Hawkeye and he's really frustrated and he's upset and he, you know, he feels kind of powerless and you know, it's sort of a thing for him because he is literally one of the few Marvel superheroes with no powers whatsoever. He's just really good at shooting mm. arrows, but he's not like, a god or a mutant or wasn't bitten by anything radioactive and he's not wearing a special suit of armor or anything. He's just a dude who's really good at one thing and he's sort of using that. Um, and you so could have him get bit by a radioactive hawk, you know? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, that'd be cool. There's a, there's actually a hawk in the first issue. Uh, there you go, <laughs> spoiler, but there is. Um, it doesn't bite him, though. Uh, Damn! The... Um, but yeah, so he, he gets real frustrated and, and upset and decides that he wants to, uh, you know, he can't kill the hood. That's not what he does. And he can't stop him. And so he decides he's going to just make his life hell and mess with him. And awesome. so he sort of, wow, that's some petty shit. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. he's really petty and, and, and <laughs> shitty about it. And, you know, the hood is dangerous enough that, like, the other heroes, sort of a lot of guest appearances in the book, the other heroes are kind of like, this is not a dude you should be messing with, Clint. Like, this is stupid. Like, <laughs> you either have a plan to stop him or you stay away. Like, let let someone, you know, let a let a Doctor Strange fight him. Like, mm -hmm. let a big, let one of the big guns take him on. But, like, sure. this isn't for you. And Clint just, like, you know, doesn't accept that and sort of gets him over his head and sort of has this ever-escalating war with the hood that's really sort of dangerous and crazy, but also, like, funny and weird. Um, cause he's Hawkeye, but at the same time, uh, there's, uh, a new Ronin, uh, in the early 2000s mm -hmm. when, when Hawkeye died, sad, 
uh, <laughs> he came back as Ronan and he wore a disguise and a, and he was, you know, a, it was a secret who he was. And then he gave up that disguise and three other people have worn it since. But uh, now there's a new Ronan running around who's sort of up to no good and kind of robbing people and being real reckless and hurting people. And everyone is sort of looking at Hawkeye being like, is this you again? And he doesn't want people looking at him because he's already doing his own stupid thing. So he's kind of like <laughs> really frustrated by the Ronan thing. And he's like, I need to solve this because this is like ruining my name. And I can't have my name ruined because I really need to be in good standing because I'm doing really dumb shit now as it is. <laughs> so it's sort of this big complicated mess that he gets himself in really quickly. And yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, fun and uh, weird and sexy and... Uh, I'm really excited about it. And I, I think people, um, you know, Hawk has a book that's always kind of unique in the Marvel universe. It sort of always is a little bit off from what everyone else is doing. And, and so mm -hmm. we wanted to sort of honor that and make sure it feels different and looks different and is kind of a, a, a different tonally, a different book, but also like I wanted to pull him back a little more towards the Marvel universe. So there's like a lot of guest stars and a lot of superheroing stuff going on in the book. And it's, um, yeah, it's a good time. It's out January 1st. And so uh, everyone should go on New Year's Day with all their um, New <laughs> Year's winnings. I don't know if that's a thing. And <laughs> go buy 10, 20 copies of it. And, you know, get whatever you know. And that's sort of our, that's our marketing plan. We're hoping that everyone who's interested in the book buys 20 copies. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I feel like that's how. I don't know if Comixology will let us do that because <clears throat> we both went digital recently because we ran out of space. Yeah. Um, well. But we we'll see if Comixology can do that. If not, I'll just make twenty accounts. It's fine. Yeah, you need twenty email addresses, and you're probably going to need twenty credit cards. <laughs> you have a few weeks to set that up. That's not hard. You go down to a Sears, sign up. You're for an accountant, card. honey. You can do it. You can set that yeah. kind of thing up, right? Yeah, I get credit card offers in them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> look, look, I'm not telling you to commit credit card fraud to buy twenty copies of Hawkeye, but I'm not telling you not to commit credit card fraud to buy Hawkeye. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick it up because I, it sounds, it sounds kind of fun. It sounds really fun, actually, if I can correct you. It sounds really fucking fun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, uh, the hood is not, you know, I mean, my main thing is obviously X-Men, but I have seen the hood in, in a bunch of stories over the years. And he's another character that whenever he shows up, I'm like, oh, fuck this guy. I want to see somebody punch him already. You know, so I'm kind of like interested in that. And just from the previews, I could tell that there's going to be humor in there. And obviously I like, you know, funny stuff. And I'm, I'm, I don't think that you're actually going to like drop any, any hints or, you know, spoil anything or whatever. But I'm part of me is kind of hoping that, that Barney shows up in this book somewhere because I think that would be dope. You're not, um, you're not really a big Hawkeye fan, but you're hoping that his brother Trickshot shows up. This is what you're telling me. <laughs> Okay. Cool. I like listen. I like Hawkeye. I'm so, okay. I, right. I apologize that us on the Mutant Musings podcast like the X Men more than Hawkeye, but yeah, I kind of do hope Barney shows up. Okay. Yeah, uh, he's, not, he's not gonna. But okay. Yeah, Damn. yeah I've read uh, every issue of the X Men since X Men number one. I have read cool. one series of Hawkeye. Which one was it? Matt Fraction. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> bro <laughs> um that's a good book yeah uh that's cool i haven't read that much x-men but i've heard it's cool but hawkeye's awesome you should read more hawkeye <laughs> <laughs> all right well no I'm, I'm definitely gonna pick up um 
Hawkeye Freefall when it when it when it comes out. A- a- absolutely. January first. January first, I believe, is when, when it comes parents. out. Is what somebody told me. Supposed to say uh, when it drops. <clears throat> when it drops. Yeah. When, not like, when it comes out. You know how I'm gonna remember when it drops, like when the ball drops. Exactly. On New Year's Day. That's how you remember when it drops. Exactly. Yeah. It's all it's all tied together. There. There's your That's free, really good. That's really free marketing good. strategy. I wish we. <laughs> Well, we've already marketed it, so I didn't. Have, I think I think our marketing strategy is who is Roman. That was our thing. We're like, who's the Roman? Who's Roman going to be? I like guess it's mysterious, and people like the mystery. I guess it's not going to be Barney then. Maybe I, maybe hope- I just lied. Maybe it is Barney. <laughs> so many people are like, is it Barney? And I'm like, that's weird that everyone thinks it's Barney. <laughs> like I, you know, I feel like one. It's one of those things where I'm like, well, I'm letting people down by not having it be Barney. But also, if it was Barney, that would literally be what everyone guessed before they'd read a page of it, and that would not be rewarding. It was like, oh, it's exactly the thing I thought it was going to be. So, no, it's not Barney. It's the dog. I was literally just about to say. Pizza dog. Pizza dog. <laughs> no. Ronan is the dog. And no one notices that he has a tail and he walks on all four legs. And he's biting people <laughs> because, because the Avengers are idiots. But it's the dog. It's the dog. The That's country. true. I mean, you said he's back in New York. He's back in New York, yeah. So Beautiful Brooklyn. I mean, of course nobody is going to notice that Ronan is a dog because you see people walk on all fours and piss on the sidewalk. It's New York. Damn. Insult the, insult the guy where he lives. Seriously. <laughs> well, I don't know what you do when you come to New York. I haven't really seen. I mean, I guess I've seen that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> now we're never going to hang out an American dream, Patty. Come on. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've definitely, I've definitely seen weird stuff in New Jersey. I don't want to like ruin this for you guys, but weird stuff happens there too. Oh, yeah, no. They made a magazine out of weird stuff in New Jersey. Yeah, they did. They did. A whole magazine about it. They did. That's true. Yeah. And Um, they made that show about it. Did they? Did they make a show? The the Soprano. Oh. Oh, Yeah, I I pass the strip club, like, every day. Yeah. It's called Bada Bing. (laughs) Is it really called that in real life? Yes. No, it's not called Bada Bing. Yes, it is. It says home of the original Bada Bing Oh, is that what it says? I just see the big letters that say Bada Bing. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) My whole life has been a lie. What? <laughs> Am I supposed to talk about force works now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I did not read very much of the original force works. I know I, I I assume this is not supposed to be a direct sequel to the '90s force works by Abnet and Lanning. It is. It literally they end on 22, and we're starting with issue 23, and on a cliffhanger. And so really, we, it only took it only took you 23 years. You've been cooking this up for 23 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. The, the no, it's not a direct sequel. It's a it's a sequel in name only. I lo- I do love the original, and that's why I one of the reasons I wanted to do the book because uh, the original okay. is super fun and and crazy and strange and awesome. And there's like this super old immortal alien guy in it who teleports around and he speaks in like yeah odd century. He's great. And century being yeah. like I, I did a I did an interview about it like a podcast and I was like oh yeah century is not in the book and people thought I was saying century. Century, of century. Oh, and, and those are like, those are different you, things. Those are different things, and people were like, why, would, why did you think Century was going to be in the book? What a moron! And I was like, well, I didn't think any of them were going to be in the book because I'm writing it. <laughs> century, not century. It's hard distinction. Um, but they're both in the book now, and we're just going to have them show up and fight each other. <laughs> it's not, it's not century versus century. I. I am feeling emotions. That's right. That's the point. That's the point of all of this is to make you feel emotions. And a lot of times it's just <laughs> frustration and confusion. But those yeah. are sort of emotions. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> no, but it's, uh, my team is uh, US Agent and Mockingbird and Quake and War Machine, and it's really fun, and it ties into the Iron Man 2020 event that's coming. Um, and uh, I don't know how much I can actually say about it because it's still kind of a ways off, but, uh, you know, there's bad, uh, bad machine stuff coming, and, uh, and Forceworks is sort of the... Uh, a militaristic reaction to some of that, um, but it it uh, it's fun. The the only member of the original Force Works is U.S. Agent who carries mm-hmm. over. Yeah, uh, Quake didn't exist at the time, and Iron Man was on the team, but uh, we don't have Iron Man. We have War Machine, and then you know there's a West Coast connection, West Coast Avengers connection between U.S. Agent and War Machine and Mockingbird. So it's sort of a reunion of people who don't really necessarily get along, and um, it's just fun, sort of crazy sort of covert military kind of action from a bunch of like kind of uh, oddball characters that I really love. So I'm excited and uh, it, it should be cool. Juan and Ramirez is drawing it and he's awesome. Uh, he just drew my first issue of Annihil- my first issue of Annihilation. Uh, that was yes. cool. And there was a lot. Of- that was very cool. I have to say. Speaking of Century. Yes. Century is on that, but Century is not. Although I thought about putting him in it. Uh, but um, he's in space though. You should just I could have just put him in back. Put him in the background, just like you know, sitting there playing solitaire or something. Well, just as like a little nod. The last or issue's out tomorrow. So, is out on Wednesday, so that's going to be hard for me to put him into the book. Now I'd have to like go and draw him <laughs> into every copy. But um, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Maybe in the trade. Maybe in the trade, we'll add an extra Thank page you. where Century is just playing solitaire. I will buy twenty of those when oh, it drops. <laughs> no, Force Work sounds sounds interesting because you know you said kind of like you know these these like um and they're not like the super popular characters you know mm-hmm. um yeah and and that's kind of I feel like what what will draw me into a book more than anything else. Um, I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm, like you don't like popular characters. Exactly. No, exactly. Like <laughs> I, I literally I have like so Mutant Musings is on geekade.com and before I ever started this podcast, um I started a a monthly column called Welcome to the D-list because all of my favorite characters, all of the ones that I find the most interesting are the D-list characters. Not necessarily that like War Machine or USA, not that they're D-list per se, but I mean US Agent is a D-list character 100%. Ah, you're right. That that I can give you, but like, you know, Mockingbird, War Machine, no. They they're not D-list characters. But so that's no. I love the characters who haven't had a bajillion stories told about them and who have more potential. Um sure, yeah. I mean Pyro Pyro is you know, everybody's listening, you know, it's probably you know, our fan base is going to roll their eyes because I go on about Pyro so much, especially now that he's in Marauders. It's like every episode. But he's been my favorite character since I first saw him on the cover of X, um, X-Force number five. You know, that was one of the first comic covers I ever remember seeing. And since then, you know, he's been my favorite mutant. And and yeah, it's it's for those reasons, because there's there's potential there. There's stories, there's background, there's all kinds of things you can see about this character you don't see on the cover of a million comics, like, you know, I think Wolverine is cool and I'm, I'm not going to badmouth, you know, the character, anybody who loves him, but he is definitely nowhere near my favorite character. Um, he's in a million stories. I've seen him a million times. Show me somebody who I don't see every day. And so that's why I, I am not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like I legitimately think that that's, that that's cool that you're taking this group of characters who aren't like super mainstream. And, you know, I remember reading, um, a bunch of years ago, um, 
U.S. agents, um, John Walker's origin in in the in the comics. You know his yeah. his background, where he came from, how you know he was you know clashing with Captain America just ideologically, and you know it was it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's I uh, I I really like U.S. agent. I think he's really fascinating because he has such a you know, for a, a character who's, you know, sort of a D-lister, he has such a fascinating, he has a lot of, like, pathos built into the character. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, he's he's the the Captain America who thought he could do it better than Steve and couldn't. And, like, you know, I, I said at one point when I was talking about him, I was like, yeah, he's everybody's second favorite Captain America. And then I was like, wait, no, he's not. He's, like, the fifth favorite <laughs> Captain America. Like, people, like, probably true, yeah. more. They like the Falcon more. They probably sure. like Nomad more. And I was like, he's like the least, fa- like, I, I just didn't even realize how many Captain Americas there had been. And I was like, yeah, he's, and and he was so sure that he could do it better. And it's such a like thing that I think hangs over him that he's just like, yeah, I'm not Captain America. And I, I tried to be, and I couldn't. And then at the same time, like, you know, one of the reasons I wanted War Machine in the book is because like, he's the guy who was the last popular Iron Man. And he's, mm-hmm. he, you know, how he deals with it or like, he's gotten over that and he's not about that. He's his own guy and he doesn't want to be Iron Man anymore. And he's sort of like, yeah, I, uh, that's a Tony thing and that's not what I do. And then you have U S agent who's like, I think harbors a lot of resentment and, and frustration about it. And and it's two guys who were like, you know, the 1980s also ran versions of popular Avengers. And it, <laughs> it's, you know, that's, that's really interesting. And I think putting them together is, is, is sort of a fun thing because, because of that, like seeing, how they view the world and their legacy and what they do, um, uh, I think is, is a good time. So I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to playing with them and letting people see my take on it all. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm also looking forward to that one because I don't know. It's, I don't know too much about what's going to be going on with this whole, like, you know, Iron Man 2020 and, and all of that. But, uh, but I don't know, I'm ready to see like you know War Machine and and U.S. Agent you know sort of sort yeah. of get violent. Um, I think that's going to be really neat. Um, I'll just throw this out there. You know while you're while you're talking about you know these these characters living in you know more popular characters' shadows. There's always Frog Thor. You know don't forget <laughs> it, don't forget about him. I mean I know it's a miniseries, probably already done, but maybe for the trade or something you can throw in a picture of Frog Thor. There was a talk uh, actually of doing uh putting Thunderstrike on the book. Wow. I talked about putting him because he's the last popular. <laughs> I mean Frog Thor is probably more popular than Thor, but Thunderstrike is the third version and and uh you know we mentioned it but then I was like he doesn't make sense for what we're doing, but I thought he was like, I was like that would be a fun book of just like the the second place Avengers <laughs> of just like guys who were other Avengers and aren't anymore, but uh, yeah, there was no, we didn't end up keeping a, a Thunderstrike, but maybe he'll appear somewhere else soon. Uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we're, we we very much appreciate you coming on. We spent a lot of time talking about just things that we were curious about, wanted to pick your brain about, wanted to listen to you talk about, you know, and, and you know, kind of have a back and forth. But, you know, obviously you're... you're you're doing other books now that you're not doing X Men anymore, so I figured you wanted to you wanted to talk uh, about them. So I didn't know if there was anything else you wanted to talk about. Um, no, I mean I have a new book. Uh, Tyler Boss, who did Forget Talking on Bank with me, uh, we're doing a book at Image in the spring called What's the Furthest from Here, and uh, I'm very excited about that. It's a sort of a post-apocalyptic coming of age story about a gang of punk rock kids who live in a record store after the end of the world. Um, I'm very excited about that. What? And that'll be out in the spring from Image, but uh, we're not really talking about it too much yet. But 
What? Yeah. You That's just... awesome. What was yeah. the title again? I think you cut out a minute. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's called What's the Furthest Place from Here? Oh, okay. What's the furthest place from here? Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds super interesting because that's how I hope to live my life one day. <laughs> a post-apocalyptic world in a, in a record. What? That's, that's awesome. Um, you said it's coming out in the spring. You don't know a release date or anything yet? No, we don't have a date yet. Um, okay. But it'll be the spring. It's from Image, so we'll be talking about it a bunch. Okay. On the Twitters and the internets and doing interviews for it and stuff. So yeah, just keep your eyes open and your ears open i guess okay <laughs> yeah i don't know i was gonna say ears peeled and i think that's an expression but i don't really know what it means so <laughs> well i don't know i feel like ears open maybe sounds like a sexual thing yes exactly all the, when you do the ear sex yeah all the ear penetration that's yeah uh, that's what kids are into these days oh uh, yeah sure yeah 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 we're millennials we know all about that yeah kids are weird <laughs> uh well thank you so much matthew rosenberg for for coming on our show it was an absolute yeah. pleasure to have you on um thank you both so much for having me this was awesome looking forward to a lot of the books that you're working on coming out um if you want people to find you uh where would they find you other than your home address i don't really want people to find me um <laughs> no uh you know i <laughs> My Twitter is at Ashcan Press, A-S-H-C-A-N-P-R-E-S-S. Um, I have that as an Instagram and a Facebook and I think a Tumblr too. And I don't ever check those or update them. But if people <laughs> want to follow those, they can. But uh, I just don't touch them. Um, but yeah, mostly just Twitter, I guess, is probably it. I talk, I tweet too much about nonsense. But, you know, that's if you need to see nonsense, that's where you're going to get it from me. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks again so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys.